If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Colossians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. Um, sometimes I wonder if somebody from the first church were able to be transported in time, what they would think of our church services. They'd say, man, what a building. And I don't, and they, remember, they wouldn't know any of the songs because they were all written after them, even the old songs. They wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't understand the musical instruments would be different to them. Uh, everything would be different. So what should be the same? And uh, I just want to start by reading this passage just to kind of get our heads thinking a little bit and hearts in the right place. And it's part of our reading this week. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they being the church, and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having the favor with all people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me just start with prayer. Father, my prayer is that uh, we would be a church that glorifies you in every aspect, that we would be gospel-centered, that we would be known as a church that loves Jesus and radically obeys his commands. If we're honest, we all fall short and are in need of your grace not just to be saved, but on a daily basis. So we pray that as we open up your word this morning, that you would fill us and guide us and direct us. We pray that you would be glorified in our hearts, that we would be open to receive what is from you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're starting a new series on conflict and conflict resolution. And at the beginning of the series, I just want to have a few points of clarification before I dig in this morning. The first is, I am not an expert. Uh, I'm not an expert in conflict. Res I might be an expert in receiving conflict. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not an expert in how to resolve conflict. And I recognize that as some of you have been here, I have been your pastor now for eight and a half years, and I'm sure I have failed each one of you in this area at some point in time. And not being an expert, I am using some material from Peacemaker Ministries. Many of you are familiar with that. I'm using some stuff uh, in the sermons. And then I'm also encouraging you to get the book and read through it as we go through it. We have a few more copies left. You can get them online. I'm happy to buy some uh, if we need more. Second, uh, I have no agenda or person in mind in any part of this sermon. Can I just say that? Uh, I did not choose this sermon series so that I could just really twist it into somebody and say, would you please listen to me? Uh, so if you're fearing that, it's not the case. Uh, and I realize the potential yuck that comes with. It's like, we don't want to pray for patience. Uh, I'm telling you as a pastor, you don't want to preach on conflict either. Um, and so I, I understand that. But as a church, especially a Baptist church, there has been conflict over the years, and we haven't always handled it correctly, and we need to look at God's word to make sure that we are handling it correctly moving forward. And the third thing I want to say is that this series is no silver bullet. 
Right? This, it's just because I have no, no belief that I'm going to preach this for the next two months and then you're all going to get it and we're all going to say, now we know that and we'll never have conflict or be unable to resolve conflict again. I, I understand that. Um, in fact, I remember I was teaching this one time in another church and I was going through the Matthew 18 pattern and one person said, you know what, I tried that once and it didn't work. It's not a guarantee that it's going to work. It's just a pattern we're supposed to use. So, it, you know, it's not a promise that everything just works out if we do these things. So those are my, my points going in. I hope you'll remember them. And so if you say, boy, that was in the book, or I think Dave got that from somewhere else. I probably did. Okay, so just telling you ahead of time. I came across 25 silly things that church members actually fought over. And I recognize you can't trust everything on the internet, but this is from a group of people that actually deal with church conflict. 25 reported fights within the church. Number one, an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. (laughs) That's fair. I, I don't think, David, I don't think your beard should be longer than mine. That's kind of embarrassing. So we'll talk about that later. Number two, a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. I'm dying to know how that worked out. I've been waiting all week for that one. A deacon accusing another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and deciding to settle the matter in the parking lot. You just feel like that's something the youth group could have sold tickets to, made a lot of money. A church dispute over, (laughs) a church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. I, they probably had them in the men's bathroom, huh? A church argument and a vote to decide if a clock in the worship center should be removed. You know the pastor is preaching a little long then. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer? I want to know who took the picture. A petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. I wonder if it's the same church. I don't know. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during service. Actually had that discussion at a staff meeting uh, at a church one time. A church argument over the discovery that the church budget was 10 cents off. Someone finally gave a dime to settle the issue. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. We all know that Jesus used grape juice. Business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve. That's wacky. Thank you. Thank you. That was for you, Jordan. Arguments over what type of green beans the church should serve? Did we have, I don't know what that is, choices? None would be my. (laughs) Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one church, they moved from Folgers to stronger Starbucks blend. In the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the later example. 
He started the, the Right Blend Fellowship Church. <laughs> Major conflict when the youth borrowed a crock pot that had not been used for years. I don't, what are the youth using a crock pot for? That's the part that kind of bothers me. Um, an argument on, on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. As long as there's angel food cake at the end, I think we're okay. <laughs> Balances out. An argument over who has the authority to buy postage stamps. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. <laughs> the idea of luck, you know, takes out the sovereignty of God and things like that. So it's theologically, uh, a church member was chastised because she brought vanilla syrup to the coffee server. It looked too much like liquor. An argument in church over who has access to the copy machine. We do actually argue over that. Some church members <laughs> left, the church, left one church uh, because a member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. <laughs> it resulted in a major fight and split. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. That was in Portland. A, a dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts, since black is the color of the devil. A fight over whether or not to sing happy birthday each week, and an argument over whether the fake dusty plant should be removed from the platform. These are things that churches are actually fighting over. Stop it. Conflict in the church, although those are humorous to me, is real. And we do fight over things that in the end are probably meaningless. And so how do we resolve them? How do we understand them? Uh, we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, um, starting in verse 15. Again, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When we were going through the hope series, we use this passage uh, to be reminded that there's hope in the gospel. This morning, we look at it that this hope that we have in the gospel motivates us to tell others and to model this reconciliation that we've received from God, that we've experienced. If, if we have indeed been reconciled because of our sins, then we are called to a ministry of reconciliation with others. How we deal with conflict is a testimony of what we believe and what we've experienced. Therefore, conflict provides an opportunity to glorify God. So we're going to look at this in three parts this morning. What causes conflict? 
the testimony of conflict and just some of the first steps towards reconciliation. So what causes conflict? I have a, a verse up here. Uh, the first one is selfish desires. And the verse from James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Perfect verse for this morning, right? Where does conflict come from? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? One of the biggest reasons that we have conflict is because we are by nature, sin nature, selfish people. We want things our way. We want things during our time, in our, in our way. We are selfish creatures, and that leads to conflict because we can't both have our own way. So where does conflict come from? It comes from sin, doesn't it? All sorts of sin. And we just need to recognize that. Now, I do want to say this. Not every conflict is sin. Okay, so let's just kind of dispel that. So another, <coughs> excuse me, another source of conflict is just different values or priorities. We can have different values, and when those different values collide, it causes conflict, and that's not necessarily sin. Uh, I was trying to think of a good example of this, and it wasn't a, a conflict in any way, but when uh, we got to go to a Cote d'Ivoire, and uh, we got off the plane, and uh, they were driving us north, and we stopped at this hotel. I don't remember if it was the first day or the second day, but we stopped at this hotel just to have some refreshing a drink and a little bite to eat. And, and so we were in this nice hotel lobby and one of our translators, uh, Timothée, he knew somebody that worked at this hotel. Now he had not talked to this person in like four years. But in African culture, you do not pass by somebody you know without saying hello. So knowing, even though he had not spoken to this person in a lot of time, long time, he called ahead to let her know that he was going to be there. She told her boss, and her boss and her came out together to spend time and greet this person. And you, you would just think, you know, think about going to your, your boss at work and saying, hey, somebody I haven't seen in four years, can I take uh, just some time off and go up and talk? What are you talking about? No, get back to making widgets. And in that culture, now, now there's a whole communication thing going on and all this stuff. And, and we can't say to Timothy, hey, we got to go. We got to get back on the road because he needs to spend appropriate amount of time with this person. Now, it, for the American culture, we, we're on a time frame. We've got a destination. And if anything happens that takes us out of that time frame, it causes conflict. In Africa, it could take you forever to get down the street because you've got to stop and talk to everybody. Now, is one sin and the other not? It's just a cultural difference. Another cause of conflict is obviously miscommunication or non-communication, unmet expectations, however you want to word that. But sometimes you think you are clearly communicating to somebody and that person is not listening. Or they think they're communicating to you and you are listening, but you're not understanding. 
Or more often than not, we just assume the other person already understands what we're talking about. So we don't communicate at all. Or we send an email. New people change. Now, I'm not saying this isn't a sin issue, but whether you recognize it or not, every time you add somebody new into a body, it creates a different view, a different perspective, a, a different history. It, it affects the culture and it, it makes for a difference. I've I, I been sharing this. I read this great article and, and the, the, the surgeon who did the very first kidney transplant in the United States shared how he got there. And he was actually coming out of, I believe it was World War II, they were doing uh, skin grafts on, on uh, soldiers who had been burnt and they got to some that were extremely bad and there was no skin to use. So they started using skin from other places and they realized the body rejected. And so he came to this conclusion that the body will reject something that's good for you when introduced just because it's new. And so they figured that out and the, he did the very first kidney transplant with identical twins and then later moved on from there. And so one of the conclusions the author came to is like the body, even the body of Christ, will reject something that's new, even if it's good for them. It's just our natural way of protection. Cultural differences, I kind of already alluded to that, but cultural differences. Um, people have just very different ways of looking at the world. And, and here's where we get in trouble. And listen to this. I make an assumption. I'm a Christian and I believe A. Therefore, if you're a Christian, I think you should also believe A. I'm a Christian. I support candidate A. You're a Christian. Therefore, you should support candidate A. It's really faulty logic. And so we have to understand that there are just some differences culturally in the way that we look at things. I think conflict arises in the church many times because of jealousy. One person has too much say. Uh, one person uh, doesn't like the relationship somebody has here and it causes all sorts of conflict. Now, let me just say ahead of time, I, I totally understand this is not an exhaustive list. Okay, obviously I didn't even mention church beards or crockpots, <laughs> which also are, you know, sources of conflict. I did read one story of a, of a church <clears throat> that uh, called in um, some reconcilers, and uh, the problem was that the pastor was wearing Levi's to the church during the week and his office desk was messy. This was interesting to me because I wear Levi's during the week and my office desk is messy. So uh, I read the rest of it and so this uh, reconciler, this church conflict expert comes in and he talks with group one and he says, what's the problem? The pastor wears Levi's and his desk is messy. So he goes to group two, what's the problem? The pastor wears Levi's and his desk is messy. He goes to group three, what's the problem? Pastor wears Levi's and his desk is messy. He goes to group four. What's the problem? Pastor wears Levi's. He says, stop. He says, I don't believe you. He said, this is too systematic the same. You guys have all talked to each other. What is the problem? He said, well, 
We don't feel like the pastor respects us. We don't feel like he listens to us. So the reconciler said, so your feelings are hurt. When our feelings are hurt, we pick something for our feelings to be attached to. In this case, Levi's and a messy desk. And so sometimes when conflict happens and people leave the church, one of the things I'm constantly saying is, was that really the issue? So, the testimony of conflict. In Colossians, uh, this idea of this reconciliation. Verse 20, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Can we just start with this? Real peace, reconciliation is a priority for God. That God wants to reconcile you to himself is a priority. It was such a priority that he made a plan for it before the foundation of the world. That you would be reconciled to God is a priority of his. And that we would be reconcilers is a priority of his. So if peace is a priority, is there ever a time to fight? That's always one of the questions that come up early. So what about when peace isn't possible? I have kind of a little scale that I've used over time and how to make a decision on, you know, how serious the conflict is. So first of all, there's things that I would die for. Now, I want you to think about that. Are there things that you would die for? Not just in word, but if you literally had to be in that place. The gospel truths. Things that our salvation hinges on, the divinity of Jesus, the resurrection, the authority of Scripture. Would you be willing to stand and say, no, I will not deny that. I will not recant. And I think of history that people that we love and respect did take a stand and, and gave their lives for these truths. So there's some things that you should, and hopefully not, but may one day be called to literally give an account for and say, no, I will die for that. There are things that we would divide for. These are the differences in the body of Christ, but uh, you wouldn't feel comfortable partnering with them. Uh, you say, I understand that there may be some different views on this, but I, I don't want to partner them. I don't want to sign their paycheck or whatever that is. Uh, now, here's what the funny thing is about this. Uh, as I was reading a book where, where this outline was at, they gave some examples of things that maybe you should divide for. And every example that they gave, I can name a person in this church who thinks differently and is not divided. Every one of them. So they're not hard and fast rules where if you, you know, don't agree with this doctrine that you need to divide for. Calvinism and Arminianism. Okay, the role of women in ministry. Just to name a few, there's different. You say people disagree on those things in this church? Yes, they do. Does Jesus come in pre, post, or middle? So there are things that people would uh, maybe choose to divide over. Things I would debate. These are issues that you're passionate about, but you don't need to divide over. 
ministry models, worship styles, length of the worship pastor's beard. Those are things that you might want to discuss, debate, have healthy, let's get in a Bible study, let's open up God's word, let's talk about it, but I don't need to divide over those things. Next, things I would decide for. Things that I make a decision on, and you know what? I don't really need your permission on it. I'm not going to bring it up. Because half of you disagree with me, and the other half of you agree with me, so I'm just not going to tell you about it. I'm going to make a personal decision for me and my family. All right, we don't have to keep bringing it up over and over again. We don't need to make a church rule. We don't need to vote on the weed whacker. We can just go get one. Okay, so there's just some things that we just make a decision for. And it's not even worth, it's not even worth discussing. And then things I would just disregard, disregard or ignore. All day, every day. I don't care. We don't need to wrestle over it. The problem in the church is that we take issues that probably should be decide for or disregard and we move them up to die for. And we're just, we're ready to fight over them. And I think that we need to make sure that we're putting things at an appropriate level because real peace is a priority to God. And it's part of our testimony. Second, real peace is expensive. And you, verse 21, were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That's expensive. That you and I have peace with God was not a cheap thing. God gave his son so that you could be at peace with him. And I I would remind us that this whole thing, it begins and ends in love. It begins and ends in love. And I have a verse up here uh, from 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It begins and it ends with love. God loves, so we love. Recognize that you have peace with God. It costs something. And I would say that always when we are trying to deal with conflict, it costs us something. It requires the surrender of one or both parties. It involves introspection. What do I mean by that? One of the verses that we're going to keep coming back to over and over again, and you might as well just memorize it, is from Matthew chapter 7. Next slide. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You understand the hyperbole. You can't put a log in your eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. How do you do that? With some introspection. 
then you will be able to clearly see the speck out of your brother's eye. So at some point, we have to look at ourselves. What are we bringing to the table? And I would say this, that God's love and his uh, reconciliation of us prompts a response. It prompts a response. If, if, If God did this for us, then we are compelled to do it for others. And there's so many examples of that in Scripture. So real peace is a priority. Second, real peace is expensive. Third, real peace requires an ally. Look, if you're in conflict, whether it's at home or at work, um, whether it's with somebody in the church, whether it's somebody, your neighbor, wherever that is, you feel alone in that conflict. And you say, man, I, man I'd love to go talk about it, but man, I just, this, this conflict, you need an ally. Who is the ally? Jesus Christ. God goes before us. He works through us. If you're being, uh, going through the church reading this week, uh, Uh, Those that I've talked to are so thankful to be in Ezra and Acts, so much easier than Chronicles and Revelation. But as we're reading through Ezra, it just amazed me this week, right? These godless kings made declarations of the God of heaven and gave Israel as they're leaving Babylon. and, And here you go, take this and go rebuild the temple. And we think, man, I just, I need to make sure we get the right people in leadership and the right people in in office. And you know what? God can do whatever he wants through whomever he wants. And he is our ally. Fourth, real peace is found only at the cross. Um, If you are dealing with somebody who doesn't know Christ, Um, I I would argue that you may never really experience full reconciliation with them. And I I know that that's not encouraging. Um, And I recognize, even as I said that, some of the relationship dynamics. But until we understand what we have been forgiven of, and the price that God paid that we might have. I'm not saying there can't be peace. I'm not saying you can't work things out. But I, ultimately, ultimately, reconciliation is only found at the cross. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Real peace has eternal consequences. The concept of being put before God holy and blameless, it's an eternal statement there. Peace has been made. You may enter in. One book that I was reading recently um, was written by an African-American woman, uh, unmarried, who was a professional, and she was in a small church, and she said, I constantly found myself in small group and Bible studies with this right-wing white man who I just disagreed with every single point he had in every study we were in. 
And she, they were heading to some retreat, and she got sat next to him on the bus. And she said she realized all of a sudden, I am going to be spending all eternity with this guy. And she thought to herself, are there going to be like different neighborhoods in, in heaven? Right? I mean, and she actually gives the illustration of Chicago and says, man, Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in America. And even though there's all these different racial groups, they live in their own boroughs. And she said, maybe heaven will be like that. And then she said, no, probably not. Man, that person that you're in conflict with, if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to spend all eternity with them. You might as well work it out now. And you know, sometimes we need help in working out things. I totally agree with you. I get that. Sometimes when you're a kid, the teacher was called in. Right? That didn't work. The principal was called in. That didn't work. There was a meeting that involved moms and dads. I just don't think you want Jesus called in on the dispute. We haven't been able to work this out, Jesus. I think it would be like what your grandmother did to you when you were fighting with your brother and sister. Just thump both of you on the head. So what are some first steps towards reconciliation? We're just entering this series, and we've got a long ways to go. Um, what are some first steps? I would say to you first, embrace God's pursuit of you. And I, it's a terminology I've been using recently. And If you go back to the garden, God said, he created this, it was good. 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 He created this, it was very good. And then he said, hey, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. And part of what God was doing, at least in part there, was saying, I get to define what's good, not you. And Adam and Eve, by being tempted, decided that they wanted to define good and evil on their own. And they ate. God had told them, if you ate of the tree, you might die. Is that what he said? No. He said, if you eat of the tree, you will die. At that moment, all things could have ended. Adam and Eve, if you remember, realized they were naked. They covered themselves. And God comes to walk with them in the cool of the evening. By the way, he already knew what happened. And he said, Adam and Eve, where are you? He said, we're hiding. Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? Woman made me do it. The serpent made me do it. And God doesn't say, well, I can't come. In. I... No, he goes after them. And he restores them. And he covers them up. And he punishes them. But in the punishment, he gives a promise that one day Satan would be defeated and the seed of woman, Jesus Christ, would bring new life. Some of you are far away from God and you have defined good and evil on your own for so long that it's become right in your own eyes. And you feel that God hates you 
and that he has turned his back on you. And I want to tell you, God is not the one that's turned his back. In fact, if you turned around, he's right behind you. And he is pursuing you. And my encouragement to you in this idea of conflict resolution is stop running from God and embrace a God that loves you and is pursuing you. Second, as we talk about conflict, many of you are going to have one in mind, hopefully not all of you with me, but you're going to have a conflict in mind. Be aware of your role in the conflict. When, when we think about conflict in terms of whoever it is, it's very easy to point out other people's problems in the conflict. But we also need to own our own. And this is something that I have been really wrestling with recently, and it's part of the emphasis of this sermon. So realize not all conflict is bad. It doesn't mean that it's any bit enjoyable. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen those insurance commercials, you know, where the person's wet grocery bags break and the guy's girl's like, yeah, some people still love wet grocery bags and turnstiles that don't turn and, you know, Sodas that burst open in the car. People still, nobody loves those things. Nobody says, yay, conflict. <laughs> I know a few people uh, that just seem to really embrace conflict. It's kind of funny. I had, a, I had a pastor tell to me, it's like sometimes when things are too peaceful, I like to mix it up a little bit, so we have something to do. <laughs> Not all conflict is bad. And so part of the reason for that is we see conflict as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to increase relationship, to, uh, to make understanding, uh, to model the reconciliation we see uh, from God. And, and, and I would just say this to married couples. Um, look, you, there's so many, as a pastor, I've just been around so many different couples over the years. And uh, there are some couples that there's just not an issue that they're not willing to just go to the mat on. And... And I'm going, wow, you know? Um, you know, somebody will say, the other day I did, it wasn't the other day, it was Monday. No, it was the other day, and it's like, it's on. There they go. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, this is going to take a while. And you know, and for me, I'm like, it, that didn't even matter to the story, let's move on. Anybody? I've met those people that they're going over that. We were at dinner at somebody's house, and the wife brought out some salsa, and she was a couponer, extreme couponer. So she got this salsa for cheap. And the husband looked at it. And he said, you know I don't like this salsa. You bought this salsa on purpose. Like, wow, we're putting motive behind salsa now. No thanks, I'll pass. I don't need any salsa. I mean, there's some people that just, there's not an argument, that, and there's other people that something comes up and you're going to, you guys aren't going to talk about that? That didn't hurt your feelings? You want to meet with me later on? Because that seems kind of serious. No, we're good. Oh, we've been doing this for years. You need a pastor and a counselor then. That's not good. 
And so there's just these extremes of how people deal with conflict. And so look, couples, sometimes when conflict comes, it is an opportunity to make clarification and build the relationship. Don't see all conflict as bad. Uh, It's an opportunity. And then finally, remember, peacemaking is always hard. Please don't. I'm going to try to make some jokes during this series and, and different things and try to make light of it, but it's always hard. It's always hard. But it's also rewarding. And uh, we do have some great stories, uh, even in this church, of conflict resolution, and and, uh, we've shared some of those, and I hope that we can share more moving forward. And sometimes it just means entering into difficult discussions and trying to get to the other side. It means each side needs to give a little bit. It means that we need to go back to God's Word. It means that we need to have open communications and not get our nose bent every time something doesn't go the way that we want it. It's hard, but it's rewarding. I've shared it many times before, but when I first came to this church, Rich and I butted heads like two men from opposite ends of the play yard. And we didn't play nice. And one time, Rich and Michelle initiated a meeting with Janine and I, and we had a meeting in our office. We tried to hammer some things out. And as we left, I made a snarky remark, not to them, but to my wife. And she looked at me. She didn't wag her finger, but she kind of did. She said, they own their stuff. You own yours. She was right. I took that to heart. And today, Rich and I are in ministry together. Now, there was a few years in between there. It's reconciliation, and it's beautiful. I consider Rich a good friend. And we got there because we were willing to have hard conversations. Do Rich and I always agree on everything? No, he's young and he's still wrong. But he... (laughs) But we're getting closer. Some application and action. I, I really invite you to, to begin reading Peacemaker. If you, some of you have read it before. I've read it before. You can read it again. Uh, pick up a book. Uh, read through it. I think that helps. Uh, the book is Peace, Peace, Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Second, participate in the dinner project. You say, you're just throwing that in there because you want us to do that. Where does reconciliation come from? Relationship. Why are we more likely to to work through a hard thing with our spouse than we are with our neighbor? Because we live with our spouse and we've committed to them. So reconciliation comes out of relationship. It comes out of knowing somebody else's story and background. Third, I would ask you not to go initiate reconciliation right now. Let's, let's talk about some of these truths. But I would ask you to begin praying that God would reveal maybe people in your life that you need to seek reconciliation with. Now, I know that sometimes that means, uh, you know, that person needs to come to me, but it also, you know, before you leave your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled. So it means you also doing that. 
And I recognize that as we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about church, we're talking about couples, we're talking about friends, we're talking about neighbors, we're talking about kids and family, we're talking about uh, distant relatives, right? We're talking about former church members. We're talking about a large group of people. It's not easy. And so most of us have avoided reconciliation. On the bottom of your notes, there's an image that we're going to be using over and over again. It comes from Ken's book. And the idea is that we, we don't face problems well, and so he calls it the slippery slope, and on one extreme is suicide, and on the other extreme is murder, right? If you're avoiding conflict so much so that you are taking, that's, that's a, a, a way of getting out of conflict. If you can't reconcile with the person and you murder them, that's also, and, and so he's got just kind of these extremes, and we're trying to get into the middle of healthy reconciliation. I'm not going to go over that whole thing, but I put it before you because maybe you look at that and you think about where you are in that process. Now, I'll be honest that I'm working on it. I'm more of a conflict avoider. And I'm trying to go, nope, that's conflict. I'm going to get into it. And some of you are, again, you're like, "Um, conflict? What conflict? I'm ready. Let's talk about it. Right? So there's just opposite ends. And for some reason, in God's sovereignty, so many times he puts an avoider with a fighter. He says, you guys work that out. So you recognize where you are in that process and where you need to grow because it's different for each of us. So we're starting in a a two-month series and I, I invite you to join with me with an open heart and willingness to see where you are and some good discussions. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, a hard topic for me. Um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, I thank you for a church that's willing to um, discuss the hard things. I thank you for people who have modeled reconciliation to me and uh, those who are willing to forgive when I have messed up reconciliation. Um, I thank you for uh, the peace uh, that we are predominantly Um, experiencing in our church, and we recognize that that comes and goes, but we thank you that we're not talking about this in in the midst of a church split or um, two parties duking it out. Thank you that we can laugh at some of these other church conflicts, but probably uh, need to look at some of our own. And uh, Lord, I thank you for those who um, have really weathered storms of conflict and tried to do it for the glory of God. Um, Lord, may we honor you as we discuss these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.